name is John Hyatt. I serve as one of the elders here at Central Church. And a few weeks back, uh, Pastor Jeff um, talked to us about our new mission statement, which is Central exists to help you share the love of Jesus with your relational world. And one of the ways in which we do that is we want to encourage you to engage with God's word. And uh, we want to pray about that. We pray about um, these things each week. Uh, in Psalms chapter 12, verse 6, it says, The word of the Lord is flawless, like refined silver in a crucible, like refined gold seven times. You know, we live in a world that tells you, uh, find your truth, know your truth, discover your truth. God says, I am the truth. So let's pray about engaging with God's word more deeply in our lives. Lord, we're grateful that your word is flawless. We're grateful that uh, you give it to us and speak to us in ways that, um, that help us draw closer to you. We pray that this week uh, we would engage more deeply with your word that uh, you would reveal new uh, discoveries to us that we've never found before. Pray for people who have influence over young people, that they would help them to look to your word for truth. But Lord, you also tell us that we are not to look down on young people because they are young. Young people, we pray that you would challenge us to lead you in the ways of the Lord, in the ways of your word. God, we pray for our oikos right now. We pray for opportunities that we would speak to people that you have put in our lives. And when we engage in your word, you give us the words to share when we have those conversations with our oikos. We, again, we pray for those opportunities this week, and we're grateful we love you. We're grateful for your word and uh, what it means in our lives. Amen. Good morning, Central. How are you today? Fantastic. If you're watching us online this morning here at our 930 service, God bless you, whether that's our website or Facebook Live or the CW. We're just glad you're joining us this morning. John Hyatt has been an elder in this last term for six years. Uh, we have an amazing elder board. Uh, guys like John make this board just solid and caring and loving. Uh, John, we just appreciate you. I know you're going off the, the board here in a couple of months, but we just really value you and appreciate your ministry. How long have you been at Central? 21 years and uh, serve faithfully. So, yeah, give John a nice hand. We just really appreciate you, bro. Yeah. Take out your, your bulletin insert that you got on the way in and tear the perforation for me. If you're relatively new to Central, let me explain what, what we do with this. The wide portion has information about upcoming events at the church on one side. The other side, if you want to take notes of the sermon, not grade the sermon, but if you want to take notes of the sermon, you can do that on that side. Then the thin portion is a communication card. If you, if you want to get on our mailing list and you want to um, get our weekly information uh, email bulletin that we send out, you can do that. Uh, but at the very top of that is, is a space for prayer requests. If you have a prayer need, you or a friend or a family member that needs prayer, uh, write that down. And then as you exit this morning, 
any of the exits have boxes on the walls that say prayer requests and offerings. Just drop that in there. We have dozens of people that pray for these every week. We as a, as a church staff pray for these uh, every week. And so if you also have a physical offering, a cash or, or, or a check that you want to worship the Lord with this morning, very same box on your way out. Just drop that off. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for the power of your word. And Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence here this morning. And Lord, there, there's many here that are struggling Many online that are struggling with health issues, struggling with family issues, uh, struggling with emotional or mental issues. And we know, Lord, that you are everything we need. You are, you are El Shaddai. You're the all-sufficient God. And we pray this morning, Lord, that even during the preaching of the word, you would touch lives. Holy Spirit, that you would heal, save, deliver, comfort, encourage. Lord, we pray for those that are grieving, we pray for comfort today in Jesus' name. Those that are sick, that you would bring a spirit of healing in their life. And now, Lord, as we open up your scripture, that we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit teaching us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're in a series called The Life. It's a study in the Gospel of John. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, turn to John chapter 7. If you can find the New Testament, you're four books away. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the fourth book. If you need a Bible, there's probably one in, in the seat back pocket in front of you, or if you're up front, maybe under the seat. I'd really like you to follow along as we read uh, the Scripture in John chapter 7 this morning. This morning, we're going to address this question, what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to follow Jesus, to be a follower of Christ? And it sounds... Uh, simple and vanilla and plain, but we're going to get into some specific things about exactly what that means. Kyle Eidelman in his book, Not a Fan, uh, makes a distinction and a comparison between those that he calls uh, fans of Jesus and followers of Jesus. Fans of Jesus, he says, are those that admire Jesus. They esteem Jesus. They, they, they recognize that he's the Son of God. They, 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 they honor him as, as God. Followers, on the other hand, live like Jesus. And there's a big difference between being a fan of Jesus and a, and a follower of Jesus. One is radical, the other is not. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. What's the most radical thing you've ever done? What's the most crazy, radical, wild thing that you've ever done? Now, I'm not that radical, and I'm not that crazy, but, but I've done a few things that really stretched me. I, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I, I whitewater rafted on the Kern River, which is called the Killer Kern because so many people die whitewater rafting in that river per year. I've, I've body surfed um, some pretty big waves and paid the price for it in Southern California. Um, when I was in college, we went on a, a, a summit expedition up in the Sierras with my, my college staff. And they took us out, and we, we did a 24-hour wilderness solo. They took us to, to out by ourselves, no food, no, no drink, no blanket, no sleeping bag, nothing. And for 24 hours, you just make it work. Uh, that was a stretch for me. Um, I've rock climbed in the Sierra Nevadas, and, and I have a fear, fear of heights. And so being on the face of a cliff, the face of a mountain was really hard for me. None of those things are, are, are radical compared to what a lot of people do. Maybe you. Maybe you're one of those thrill seekers, those wild people. I think bun bungee jumping is just craziness. Real, I mean, I'm scared of heights, but it just seems insane to think that that little cord is holding you from death. I mean, come on. That's nuts. 
Um, how, how about this one? The, the Al Marmoum Ultra Marathon in the desert of Dubai. Who knows how hot it is? But here's, here's the, it's a 300-kilometer race, which is about 186 miles, and you have five days to do it, which essentially averages out to 37 miles of running a day, which is about a marathon and a half per day, five straight days. That's crazy. Until my, my executive pastor said, oh, that's, that's kind of neat, but did you hear about the guy, and this is true, that runs 50 marathons in 50 days in all 50 states? Like he runs a marathon in South Dakota, then he drives to North Dakota the next day, runs a marathon in North Dakota, drives to Minnesota, runs a marathon there, and every state in 50 days. I'm like, thanks for making my story look stupid today. <laughs> but, right? People swim with sharks. That's nuts. That's cuckoo. I, I don't, I, I really, have you, anybody ever swam with sharks? Just raise your hand. Nobody in this room. We're from South Dakota, aren't we? Okay. <laughs> you did? Wow. We like, you're like, awesome. There are people in our church that have eight and nine kids. That's radical, friends. <laughs> that is, is radical. You know what's more radical? Following Jesus Christ. The, the most radical decision you could ever make in life is to follow Christ because it goes against everything in you. It goes against everything that's natural to humanity because it, it requires you to give your life away, not keep it. It requires you to live sacrificially, not indulgently. It requires pain, not comfort in life. In, in fact, the three most radical words ever spoken in history were spoken by Jesus Christ when he said, come follow me. That's the most radical life you can ever live. And we're going to look in John chapter 7 this morning and get some insights as to what that life really looks like, a life given over to Christ. Let me give you a little background in our text this morning as we begin John chapter 7, verse 1. Things have gotten really dangerous for Jesus in Jerusalem in the area of Judea. The Jewish leaders are plotting to kill him. They're secretly trying to find a way to kill him. So for the last six months, Jesus has been hanging out in the region of Galilee, up north in the region of the Sea of Galilee, going to towns and villages, synagogues, preaching the gospel, healing the sick. It's really safe country for Jesus. But the next six months are going to be different. In the next six months, Jesus is going to leave Galilee, which is really his home base and safe country for the, for the last time. He'll never return to Galilee. For the next six months, he's going to pour himself into the disciples that are going to take over for him when he dies and is resurrected and goes back to heaven. So he's trying to invest in the 12 disciples to take over for him when he leaves. Six months from this story, Jesus will die on the cross at the feast of Passover. John 7 verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, was near. Therefore, Jesus' brothers, now when it says his brothers, that's not his disciples, that's his, his literal half-brothers, his family. His brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. 
If you do these things, these miracles here in Galilee, then do them in Jerusalem. Show yourself to the entire world. His brothers are saying, if you're really the Christ, if you're really the Messiah, and the next verse is going to tell us that they didn't believe that he was. But you need, to, you need to step onto a bigger stage. You need to go to the epicenter of life here in Israel. You need to go to Jerusalem, not these little small towns and villages doing miracles. You need to go where multitudes are going to see who you are. And Jesus responds to that in verse 6. Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here. It hasn't come. But your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I, I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast yet because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, Jesus stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast in Jerusalem, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in in secret. Now, you have to stop there and say, wait a second, Jesus said he wasn't going to the feast. Now he is going to the feast. Is Jesus lying? Is this like the very first sin that Jesus ever committed? When, when you read the text, you have to ask those questions. Wait, wait, wait. What, what, what's Jesus doing here? And, and the, the best answer seemed to be Jesus in his response to the, to the brothers when they said, you need to, you need to go up and, and glorify yourself and make yourself known and perform miracles and let everybody know that you're the Messiah at this feast. And his response was, my hour has not yet come, meaning the cross. Th this isn't my hour. This feast is not the, the feast at which I'm going to reveal myself and die on a cross. That, that will be the feast of Passover in six months. Jesus is simply responding and saying, this isn't my time. He didn't say, I'm not going to the feast. He said, this, this isn't my time to do what you're saying I should do at the feast. So Jesus does secretly go to the feast, and when he gets there, about halfway through the Feast of Tabernacles, he goes to the temple, and he begins to teach in the temple. Skip down to verse 17 with me, if you would. Jesus says, if anyone is willing to do his will, God's will, he will know of the teaching whether it is of God or whether I'm speaking from myself. In other words, if your heart is open to the teaching of God, God will show you. If your heart's closed, you'll miss it. If you're humble and teachable and, and you're listening to the teaching of God, God will confirm its, its truth in your life, that, it's, that Christ is teaching truth. Verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Skip down to verse 25. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he's out speaking openly and they're not saying anything to him. The rulers do not really know that Christ is, that, that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ comes, uh, no one knows where he's from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, you both know me and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were, they were seeking to seize Jesus, and yet no man laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. What a, what a great verse for people in a pandemic, right? If your time has not yet come... Your time has not yet come, amen? And they, they didn't seize him because the, the Father had a time for Jesus to die. This wasn't it. 
His hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he, he will not perform more miracles than that which this man is performing, will he? All right, so we're going to answer the question, what, is it, what does it mean, what does it look like to live for Jesus? That's what I want to address this morning. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you four, four really quick points. The first is this. I live on God's timing. I live on God's timing, not, not people's timetable, not my spouse's timetable, not, not other people's timetable. I live on the timetable of God. Let's look at verses 6 through 8 again. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always ready. Let me just say, Jesus is distinguishing between his lifestyle and the lifestyle of those who didn't, don't know God. He's saying, I, I am in step with, with God's timetable for my life. I'll explain that in a minute. But if, you're, if you don't know God, you just live by your own timetable. Any, any old time's a good time for you to do what you want, but, but if you're in, in relationship with God, now you're following a different timetable in your life. My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune already. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I'm not going up to this feast because my time has not yet fully arrived. There are two words for time in the Greek language. One is chronos. It sounds like chronological, doesn't it? It's chronological time. It's sequential time. It's natural time. It's time that, that never stops. Then there's kairos, another Greek word for time. And, and kairos means opportunities or moments within chronos. And Jesus is saying here that, that, that I live according to God's kairos. That's the Greek word that's used for time here. I, I live according to God's timing for my life. I, I don't live according to the timing of, of other people or events or anything. I, I'm in relationship with God, and, and He tells me when it's time to move. To act. Here's what he said back in chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus said, so, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. The Son is Jesus. He's referring to himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, however the Father leads, the Son does also. Jesus is simply saying that, that I, I live according to the kairos of the Father, the, the timing of the Father. My, my time has not yet come. But, but, but how many of us, uh, in, instead of feeling like we're being, we're being led by the direction or the, the leading of God or the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're simply under the pressure of people and their expectations? We're not living according to God's kairos. We're living according to people and their, their expectations and their, their timetables. Jesus never lived like that. Remember in the story, the brothers were saying, hey, hey, dude, go up to Jerusalem and make yourself known. If anybody wants to really make a name for himself, this is what they would do. And Jesus doesn't fall into that. He just says, that, that's not what the Father's telling me right now. That, I, I live by a different rhythm of life, the, the rhythm of God, the rhythm of the Holy Spirit in my life. When Shirlene and I were in college, we, we met, uh, we had our first date in November, and just about, about six or seven months later, we got engaged. It was really kind of a quick thing, and we knew immediately we really cared about each other. We were at that age where marriage, if you're going to date, you might as well date for marriage, not just to date. 
And so we, we felt like that was in the works. We started talking about marriage pretty quickly. And, and, and she said to me one day, I, I'm ready. I, I just feel like you're, you're the man that I want to marry, and you know, God's put that in my heart. I mean, she was a wise woman, you know. To, to have, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And, and I, I wasn't. I, I wasn't ready. And I, and I shared honestly with her. I said, I, said I, I can envision, you know, living with you the rest of my life, but I, I have to get the Lord's approval on this. I have to get the Lord's sense of yes on this. So you're going to have to give me some time to pray and wait on the Lord. And I don't remember if it was a few weeks or a few months, but, but God really spoke and God really confirmed. It was like I, I was on God's kairos. Now, she, she could have she left. She could have said, you know what, I don't, I don't want to wait around. Uh, I, I, you know, who knows if you're ever going to make up your mind. And that's what's hard and radical about living for Christ. Because if, like Jesus, you live according to God's timetable, you live according to God's Kairos, it frustrates people. It, it makes people angry because they, they want you to submit to their pressure. They want you to submit to their expectations. And the person that says, I can't because I'm following the one that saved me and, and my allegiance is, is to them. So a few years later, we got married, and we're at a, at a, at a car dealership. We, we had never bought a new car. We'd only bought used cars before, and we had saved up money for down payment. We were going to go in and buy a car. Well, we had prayed together about, God, how much, you know, what's the limit on what we should spend for this car? And we felt like the Lord had clearly given us a, a number, a figure. And so we went into the dealer with this number, and we really wanted a minivan. And that was our dream. That was our goal. We had a growing family. That's what we wanted. And so we went into the dealer, sat down with the salesman. He took us on test drives in these beautiful vans. We're like, yes. And then we go sit at the table where he tells us how much it costs. And like, this is how much we have to spend. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, if you're going to spend that, you can get this right here. That's what you can get. <laughs> Dodge Aries. Come on, somebody. Yeah. All we need is wood paneling on the side. And it would and we said, no, no, can't, can't, we get, can't we get into a van for, for the money that, that we, we, he said, no. He said, here's what I think you need to do. Because we had shared with him that we, we prayed about this and we felt like God had given us a figure. And, and he said, well, we have this room back here and it's empty right now. Here's what, I think you need to go back there and pray again because I think God wants to give you this van. <laughs> How bad did this guy want to sail? <laughs> no, 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 God's going to, he's going to change his mind. Go in there and, and God will raise the limit for you if you just pray hard enough. And we didn't, and that's the vehicle that we got. And a few years later, we got the van that we wanted. But, but we, we weren't living by someone else's timing or someone else's expectations. And if you're going to follow Christ, this is radical. So, so let me ask you the question. Is, is your life more demonstrated by a life that's in step with the Holy Spirit's timing or a life that's lived under the expectations of people? Are you walking in the rhythm of God for your life? Are you walking in the freedom of God for your life and staying in step with the Holy Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let's stay in step with the Spirit. Amen? Let's walk according to God's timing. Well, the second thing, if you want to live like Jesus, I live for God's approval. I live for God's approval, not people's approval. 
Not my friend's approval, not my parents' approval, but I live for God's approval. Let's look at what Jesus said in verses 18 and 19. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know about the teaching, whether it's from God or I'm speaking from myself. The one who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But listen, Jesus says, he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him. Let me read that again. He who is seeking the glory of God who sent him, he's true. And there's no unrighteousness in him. Jesus' life was all about seeking the approval of his Father. It was all about walking in a way that would please the Father, even if it didn't please people. And Jesus angered a lot of people by the way that he lived. But he always pleased the Father. That was was his goal. But how much of our time is spent trying to win the approval of people? As we go through our day, how much time are we, are we compromising God's approval because we're trying to get the approval of people, like at work, when you're trying to please your boss? So you work way too many hours, and you never say no, and there's no work-life balance in your life because you're afraid of disappointing the boss. Or parents, maybe like you with your kids, when you should be disciplining them, but you don't because you want them to like you. you. You want your children's approval. And so you don't do what God expects you to do, but you do what you want because you want to please your kids. Or what about just the people in your life? We, we, we want to please them, so sometimes we compromise our moral values, whether it's related to alcohol or sex or the words that we speak or the way that we dress or the way that we treat people We can compromise our moral values in order to please the people around us and find approval from them. Now, friends, this is as hard for me as it is for you. This desire to be liked by people, this desire to be approved by people, instead of, you know, like Jesus, solely seeking the the approval and the pleasure of God in our lives. So, So as a pastor, I meet with people regularly. They come into my office and Sometimes they'll sit down and they'll start telling me a story of what's going on in their life and how, how this person is, is such a jerk. And, and it's the blame game. They, they just keep blaming this person for their horrible circumstances and their horrible life. And as I'm listening to this, I'm, I'm just discerning you've got character issues. And, and believe me, I'd love to just say, you know what, they are a jerk. And you just need to get out of that. Instead of saying, you know what, let me just be honest, I I don't know them, and they might be treating you wrong, but you've got a wrong spirit. Like, you're harboring unforgiveness. Like, like there's things in your character that God wants to adjust. I don't like saying those things. I'd rather just be the nice guy, the good cop that makes everybody feel good when they leave my office. You're great. You're walking with Jesus in the way you should walk when they're not. I sit with individuals or couples, husbands or wives, sometimes together, sometimes separately, and they're in a painful marriage. I mean, it's brutal. And I sit and I listen to the story, and and there's nothing in the story that that aligns with reasons the Bible gives for divorce. And I'd love to just say, just get out of this hellhole. Just get out of this painful relationship. Just walk away. God, God will support you in that. But I can't. If there's no biblical reasons for divorce, I have to say, we got to work through this. You've got to die to yourself. You've got to seek Christ with all your heart. We've got to work on a, a plan of 
humility and reconciliation. And oftentimes they don't want to do that. And I wish I could just say, you know what, you know what, just, just get divorced and you'll like me then because the pastor gave me approval for something that I want to do. And I can't do that. Every time I step into the pulpit, I, I, I have the, the, the temptation to, to please you. I have the temptation to get approval from you. And, and I'm just reminded every time I step into the pulpit by the Holy Spirit, I am not here to make you feel good. I'm here to help you walk more like Jesus Christ. So if there's issues in your life that we have to address that are hard issues, radical issues about the cost of discipleship, I have to present those to you. And you may be stinking it up. And you may leave and go to a church that will tell you you're doing a really good job. If you're not, I would love to have everybody walk out, oh, Pastor Jeff, such a good, don't you feel good today? That made me feel so good. You don't always need to walk out of here feeling good. Sometimes you need to walk out of here feeling bad because you're not living up to the standard of Christ for your life. That's not a fun place to be. And you guys are in similar situations where it's easier to seek the approval of people in your life. Jesus didn't go there. Look at what he says in, in chapter John 17, 4. I brought glory to you, Father, here on the earth. By what? By doing the work, completing the work you gave me to do. God, I did what you wanted me to do. I lived for you. I fulfilled your purpose in my life. I brought you glory. I was seeking your approval, not the approval of people. Another text. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, am I now seeking the favor of people instead of God? Or am I striving to please people? Remember, Paul's writing this from prison for preaching the gospel. He says, if I were still trying to please people... I wouldn't be a bond servant of Christ. I wouldn't be an inmate. I wouldn't be in jail right now if I was trying to please people. I'd just, I just preach a message that everybody agreed with. Instead, I'm falsely imprisoned because I'm staying true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you seeking to please people or are you seeking to please God in your life? One last scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.9. You need to memorize this scripture. It's short, it's easy, but it's powerful. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, I think he's speaking for all Christians everywhere. Therefore, we also have as our aim or our goal or our ambition, whether at home, that means here living on the earth still, or absent, meaning absent from the body and in the presence of the Lord, whether I'm living life still here as a Christian or I've died and gone to heaven, our aim is to be pleasing to who? To God. That's our aim. That's our focus. That's our goal. Every day when we get up to please Him, to find His approval in our life. This was a great lesson that I learned in college, playing college basketball. I I finally figured out, I don't remember if it was a teaching that I heard somewhere, that I am not playing for the approval of my coach. I'm not practicing so that he'll see me and give me more playing time. I'm not working hard when he's watching, but not working hard when he's not I finally figured out that that whether it's practice or a game, I'm giving it everything for God, not a coach, because I'm serving him. I want him to be pleased. And you know what? When you're you're working for God or serving God and not people, you're going to work a lot harder because he sees everything, and he's got a pretty high standard for our lives. So you're not working, playing for a coach. You're You're not working to find the approval of a boss or a spouse or anyone. Your life is given. Your aim is to please him. 
And you know what's interesting is when I learned that lesson in college basketball, it carried right over into the workplace. So, so as I started working, I wasn't working for my supervisor. I wasn't working for my company. I was working for the Lord. And the awesome thing about that, again, is, is when you're working for the Lord, you're going, to work, you're going to work a lot harder. So when I went into the ministry and started with small churches, it did, honestly, it did not matter if I was preaching to 50 people or 5,000 people. The investment was the same. The investment of time, the investment of energy, putting that sermon together, it didn't matter if it was 50 people or 5,000 people because I was working for God, not people. God was watching. So I, I live for God's approval. The, the third thing is I, I participate in God's mission. I participate in God's mission. Let's look at the text in verses 28 and 29. Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and you know where I am from. I have not come from myself. I, I didn't come to do my will. I didn't come to set the course of my life. The Father sets the course. I came for him. But he who sent me, say sent me, is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he did what? He sent me. Jesus understood that he was on mission, that he had been sent by God to do something in his life. And every morning when you, when you get up, you, you have a mission. You have a calling and a purpose that you didn't create. This isn't something that you go, hey, what do I want to do in life? I mean, whether it's a job or marriage or something, you can make some of those decisions, but what is my mission? Jesus said, you've been sent. Look at this verse. Jesus said to them again, peace be to you, just as the Father sent me, so also what? Jesus was sent, and you're sent. The Father sent Jesus, and Jesus sends you. So what is the mission? What have you been sent to do? Well, Jesus answered that in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. The last words he spoke in the Gospel of Matthew before he went back to heaven. Here's what he said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The, the word go there is, is, is a little bit of a difficult translation from the Greek to the English because it's not a command. It's not like Jesus is saying, hey, I, I see you there, but I want you to go. It, it's an aorist passive, which, which is better translated either having gone or having been going. That wouldn't be good in English, would it? Having gone or have. In other words, Jesus assumes that you're going. And as you go, you're, you're, it's not an option to stay. As you go, two things. Make disciples and grow disciples. Make disciples and grow disciples. Make disciples and grow disciples. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. Then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then teach them everything that I've commanded you. Make disciples and grow disciples. That's your mission. Every morning when you wake up, you have a mission. You are sent by God to do this. Make disciples and grow disciples. You have a lot of human responsibilities. If you're a dad or a mom or you work or you go to school, there are human responsibilities. One mission, make disciples and grow disciples. So you have people in your relational world that don't know Jesus. What are you doing to make that person a disciple? What are you doing to share with them the love of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ? The good? What are you doing to, to make disciples with those God has said in your relational world that don't know him? 
And you also have people in your relational world that do know Christ. They are Christians. What are you doing to grow them? How are you making disciples and growing disciples in your life? What's going to happen when you die and you're sitting before Christ at the great judgment seat and he asks you and holds you account for the mission that he gave you? When he says, what did you do with Matthew 28, 19, and 20? Remember I said, go and make disciples and grow disciples. Go and make disciples and grow disciples. You say, well, I, I made a lot of money. I gave money to the church. I was a good person. My kids liked me. I was a good husband. I was a good provider. What are you going to tell him when you're looking in the face of Christ? And he says, I sent you for a specific purpose. Make disciples and grow disciples. Make disciples and grow disciples. That's it. That's why you have breath today to fulfill the mission for which you were sent, to go into your relational world and share the love of Jesus and make disciples and grow disciples. The last thing we, we do is not only participate in his mission, but we participate in his miracles. I told you it was radical. I'm sorry. So here's what the text says. They're talking to Jesus. Many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ, when the Messiah comes, is he going to perform more miracles than, than the one this man is doing? In other words, this dude's performing a lot of miracles, and most of you would say, yeah, Jesus did that, right? He was a miracle worker. He multiplied bread and loaves. He healed the leper. He healed the blind. He cast out demons. Yeah, Jesus was the Son of God. I'm not. Okay. And you'd probably even agree with me that the 12 disciples went out and did that, right? The 12 disciples went out. They cast out demons. They healed the sick. Well, you'd say, yeah, well, they, they were the 12. And Jesus gave them special power and authority. Well, it, it goes beyond the 12. Because Jesus empowered all 70 disciples that he had at that time to go out two by two, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and casting out demons. So they went out performing miracles at the circle of 70. But, but it goes beyond that because you get into the book of Acts and the normal Joes in the congregation, the Stephens and the Phillips, they go out and share the gospel and supernatural things happen through them. The Holy Spirit continues to work through the average folks in the congregation. You're going to say, well, I'm not even a Stephen or a Philip. Okay, here's what Jesus said. we got to go back to John 14. Here's what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the one who what? Raise your hand if you believe in Christ. Okay, that's you and me. The one who believes in me, the works, the miracles, the signs that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit. Ouch! That sounds awfully radical to me, that I'm supposed to participate in the miracles of Christ. Yes, you are. You don't do the miracles. You have no power to perform a miracle, but God does. And we are to partner with him to see supernatural things happen in people's lives. For the same reason that Jesus and the apostles and everybody through church history saw the miracles of God to confirm that Jesus is raised from the dead and living today and in power so that the supernatural works of Christ can come forth through the church. If, if you had the opportunity to pray for 10 people with 10 situations that needed a miracle, and you prayed for all 10 of them, how many of those could possibly result in a miracle? 10? Yeah. Five? Yeah. One? Yeah. Zero? Yeah, God could choose not to, not to answer any of those prayers. It's on him. But if 10 people come to you with 10 situations that need 10 different miracles, and you pray for none of them, or, or, or in any way seek God for that, how, how many possible miracles can happen? 
None. You do the math. You were sent by Jesus Christ to preach the gospel, to make disciples, and to grow disciples, and to share in the miracles. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, believed that miracles were supposed to be normal in the church. Normal. These were supposed to be everyday occurrences. Listen to what he says in Galatians 3. So then does he who provides you with the Holy Spirit and works what? He gives you the Spirit and he works miracles. It's normal. He gives you the Spirit and he does supernatural things. Does he who gives you the Spirit and works miracles among you do it because you're, you're perfectly keeping the law or because you have faith? Grace. Miracles are a result of grace. But we have to have faith in God that he can do the supernatural. So you and I are called to participate in the miracles of God. I said this was radical, didn't I? You want to follow Jesus? It's the most radical thing. So John Wimber, who, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement, one, one of my heroes of the faith, John Wimber was, was uh, before he became a Christian, he was in a secular rock band called the Righteous Brothers. Anybody remember the Righteous Brothers? A date yourself, okay. He was a keyboard player for the Righteous Brothers. He got saved, and he started attending a church. And, and the pastor was preaching, and the pastor encouraging everybody to read the Bible. So he, he started reading the Gospel of John, and he came to that verse in, in, in chapter 14, verse 12. <laughs> we, we get to do the works. So he went to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, when, when, when do we get to do the stuff? Pastor said, what stuff? He said, the Jesus stuff. When do, when, do, when do we get to do the Jesus stuff? He goes, what do you mean? He, he goes, like, like the miracles, like the healings. When, when do we get to do that? And the pastor said, oh, no, 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 no. That, that, that ended with Jesus and the apostles. So he left that church really fast because he believed Jesus, not the pastor, right? And he became, he became the leader of one of the most incredible, supernatural, signs and wonders ministry ever in the world, the Vineyard Movement. Because he believed that when Jesus said, we, we, we participate in the works of God, the miracles of God that we do. So where are you at today, friends? Is there anyone here this morning? You've never stepped into the radical call of Christ to follow him. You thought Christianity was just like, yeah, they go to church, whatever. No, no, no. This is a transformation of your life, the most radical life you can ever live. You're looking for radical. You found it in Jesus when he said, come follow me. Would you bow your heads with me right now? And if that's you this morning, if you want to step into a relationship with Jesus and respond to the call to follow him, would you pray this with me? Just say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I, I know that I've broken your law. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Jesus, you came to the earth to die for me. Would you forgive me right now? And would you, would you give me the Holy Spirit so I can live this radical life in power? I receive you, Jesus. I commit my life to following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you did that and you meant that right now, we want to help you. I want you to do one of two things. Either take your communication card. On that card, there's, there's a couple places to say, I, I received Christ today or I recommitted my life to Christ or I want to talk to a pastor about what that means. Or you can text Jesus, not Jesus, but you can text the, I'm not sure if he's answering the phone right now or not, but <laughs> that's Jesus' number right there. He'll <clears throat> take a picture of that. Let us know you made a decision to follow Christ today. Stand with me this morning. For those of you that know Jesus, I'm asking you to step into radical. 
I'm asking you to be the disciple that he called you to be, to follow him like we're supposed to follow him, to seek his approval, to walk in his timing, to participate in his mission, and to participate in signs and wonders and miracles that he wants to do to show people his greatness. Would you pray with me, God? We love you this morning. God, we're so thankful that you you said, come follow me, and we want to do that with greater diligence and power. Lord, help us this week to be more like Christ. Amen. As you consider the life of a fan or a follower of Christ, I want to leave you with a visual and ask you to make a choice. Which brand of Christianity are you going to choose? It's a video of my grandson, Russell, who at this point was three years old, sledding down a snowy hill. Let's look at the first one. You can choose this brand of Christianity. Let's run that again. Wow, isn't that dangerous? Or you can choose this one. We'll get to it. Three years old. And he stayed in, no hands. Which Christian do you want to be like? As we leave this morning, you can put your prayer requests in the box. I challenge you to, to live each day with the goal of bringing glory to Christ. May you step, stay in step with the Holy Spirit in your life. May you walk in the purpose for which you were created. And may you embrace the three most radical words ever spoken to humanity. Come, follow me. Amen. Have a great day.